last year most expensive crop we've ever planted. So, you know, that impacts profitability. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. How are you going and welcome to the Farms Advice podcast. On this episode, we've got GPA back on the airwaves with Colin Bettles kicking off the 2023 season for grain producers. Talking across a few things that come front of mind when you think of grain producers in Australia, livestock exporting and how that is impacting mixed farmers across WA, autonomous machinery, grain scholarships, mouse, mice problems even, biosecurity and the Aussie budget, China's trade, what that is doing currently, and also where are we at with farm labour? This will be all the conversation starters in this episode, so let's get straight into it. Well, Colin, fantastic to have you back in the virtual studio again, and maybe we'll catch up throughout the year. Great to have you on the Farms Wise podcast and collabing again with Grain Producers Australia. Thanks, mate. And yeah, look, hopefully we'll see you at AgQuip with uh, Hoggy. We might get you to do a live um, Hoggy podcast while we're up there, actually. Put you on the map for that one. That would be fantastic, actually, because last year, Hoggy's speech, what he got across within his message and his all his cricket analogies, um, straight through to the covers there and really embracing and getting the crowd sort of involved. I think that'd be a great idea. And to have your support for this year and also we're supporting grain producers by getting the information to them as quickly as possible on the podcast. So good to be involved and see what's going on from your side of it, but kick it off with yourself there, Colin, how's everything going at GPA grain producers, Australia, and what's this sort of current market sediment? Uh, well, it's always something to do. Grains had, we've had three big harvests, as you know, so the grains industry across the board, everyone's in pretty good shape. You know, we've got um, good profitability out there um, and people on the East Coast in particular to support recovery from drought. Um, and in WA, they've had even more um, better runs of seasons. So I think we've had a really strong focus on what's going on with supply chain there, I think, to optimise returns. So uh, we're really talking about how we get the most out of these big harvests. And we've, you know, we've been talking about um, having an HLC inquiry into the market to see if we're optimising prices, for example, and we know there is issues with pinch points in the supply chain. So overall, it's pretty good. Um, everyone across our organisation, Barry Large, our chair, and, and other members of our board and our state leaders like um, Brendan Taylor in Queensland, um, they're right into seating at the moment, so they're quite busy. So that us in the background, that gives us a bit of time to really look down the track at what we're doing and get organised and, um, you know, and then obviously focus on most recently what was in the federal budget and some of the issues we need to manage there and keep our members informed about. Beautiful. And I've noticed Barry Large, he's been pretty busy gallivanting around the country advocating for grain producers. What's he been up to? Well, Barry doesn't gallivant. He sort of, he moves in style, Barry, you know. But uh, 
Oh, look, I think for Barry, it's important for him to get across to Canberra. We, we don't live around the halls of Parliament House. We're there when we need to be for growers. Barry, like uh, our board and other state leaders, have farms to run, their own businesses, and, and they use their experiences on their farm to help inform their advocacy and what they're doing. And they're, they're largely volunteers, so they've got to be selective with the, the you know, what battles they take on. Yep. And uh, so, but it was good for Barry to get across to the uh, budget breakfast, Murray Watts, uh, the one that he, the speech that the Ag Minister does at the Crop Life Breakfast at the Press Club the day after the budget, and then just have some meetings with the government departments and a couple of other members of parliament. We recently, our vice chair, Andrew Earl, who farms in Mungandai, not far from where you are, yep. Jack, and he, um, you know, we went to Canberra and uh, presented at the food security inquiry. So just reinforcing some of those messages and essentially policy we announced in our uh, 2022 federal election roadmap yeah. and just reinforcing some of those requests that are still in front of the minister that we're waiting on to hear from. And as I said, competition and supply chain have been very important, high input costs as well. Uh, not too much we can do about that, but we've got to keep reminding people that grain prices might be high and production might be high, but it's last year most expensive crop we've ever planted so you know that impacts profitability and that goes to sustainability and all those other things that people are talking about more and more uh, that are important but you can't do them as well if um you know if you don't have money in your pocket to start with no definitely not and rolling that into what this year is it's been very patchy on the east coast some are laughing some not so much and over on the west coast i'm getting the image of it's getting pretty dry over there and they're chasing rain also and down into South Australia. But I've got a few points to cover off, a few pressing ones probably for the grain producers out there. We'll kick it off what you got up to this morning uh, with the livestock export and how does that actually incorporate grain producers? Well, there's a, a panel that's been going around the country talking to people impacted by the, the Labor government's proposed uh, or its policy to, to ban and phase out live sheep exports. Yep. Um, in Western Australia, uh, most people who produce grain and wheat in particular are also running sheep, as you know. So they're mixed farming systems. So while we don't want to be at the centrepiece of this conversation, we know it's quite emotional and a lot of people oppose the ban full stop. Um, so they haven't been engaging with this consultation panel in regards to how they can go about shutting down their business and compensating them but more to say we don't support the policy. Um, so from a grains point of view, it was really that, you know, we are part of this conversation as well uh, in that um, it will have an impact on farming systems. And, for example, if you're not running sheep in particular paddocks um, that uh, you can only really run livestock in, then that's, you know, that's a problem for grain producers as well. And WA, for example, I'll give you a couple of um, figures. O'Connor is the largest electorate. We did some data earlier this year based on the 2021 crop and it was ABS data but O'Connor's the biggest grain producing region in Australia and that's Rick Wilson's electorate that's valued at 3.8 billion and Durac um, is in the northern WA wheat belt around where Barry is in Mora that's the seventh biggest grain producing electorate that's valued at 1.2 billion and Melissa Price the local member there and uh, Pierce is 14th at 154 million but a lot of them are also as I said the, the sheep job is very important to those farmers as well. So 
Uh, my main message today also was about social license and the term social license is being used to justify this decision, that it's extremely problematic. It's been uh, corrupted politically and it causes a lot of uncertainty in farming communities and in particular for um, grain producers. We, you know, we've suffered things over the years like the, the, um, the introduction of GM canola in, uh, in Western Australia and in other states where extreme activists were able to hold the whip hand of government for purely political outcomes based on an unscientific approach. Um, and so we want to make sure that this process isn't wasted, that we get a better definition for the whole of agriculture so that people actually understand what it means, Jack. Yeah. And in particular, if you think about a license, you've got a licensing authority, um, you lose your license or you, you've got demerit points, Let's say you're on probation for three months. Uh, you get your, uh, you know, you suffer the consequences of driving badly, and then you think twice. You go back in and you get your license back, and you should be a better driver. So, um, shutting down the whole of the road network system or driving system purely because there's a couple of bad operators out there on the road um, isn't the way forward. There needs to be better processes in place. In particular, people who live with the consequences of these sort of bans because we know the people who are extremists and don't support livestock production or human consumption of meat or even milk, they're the ones really, it's a professional industry pushing for these types of outcomes, pushing government, using areas like social media and, and sensationalist media to, to run those arguments in the public space. They don't live with the consequences, Jack. They might have an opinion. They might have seen something on the internet and they judge the entire, the entire industry by that, um, you know, thing that they've seen on the internet uh, that's deliberately designed to get an emotional outcome. So everyone loses their senses and um, governments should be far more um, responsible in making these sorts of decisions. But that's essentially, it's the governments that are licensing it. You've already got the previous government, the coalition, saying that they'll reintroduce the sheep trade if they get back in. So, you know, it's like a game of ping pong and farmers are in the middle with one political licensing agency hitting the ping pong ball back over the table. And then you might have David Pocock and the Greens jump on the ping pong table, Jack, and maybe One Nation and a few other independents, you know, the Teals. So it's just this massive game of ping pong and 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 we're just the pawns caught in the middle of it all. It's like from farmer, I suppose. That's what's so infuriating. Like the next election could totally change and do backflip on that but everyone's sort of needing to adjust to what's at currently happening i like how you put it to the demerit points as well about that social license and how that may be a thing i definitely like in the future something's going to be established like that where you can't really operate if you're not performing or hitting the markers that probably the consumers want or even the, the extremists out there as well i think there's so many points within this and i think it's great that you've become a part of it because I, I say it's not really, I don't know about the data backing it, but mixed farmers are probably the majority right across Australia, putting in a little bit of crop. They've got sheep and cattle as well and making that work. I think it's great that you're part of the conversation. Well, WA accounts for a third of the nation's um, grain crop or wheat crop. So we'll be impacted by this as well because people run farming systems, you know, on average 30 to 40% of the land is used for sheep as part of farming systems. So it's going to have a consequence. But getting back to your licensing um, um, analogy, Jack, the and the penalty system, well, in 2018, when this video footage that was seven months old appeared on 60 Minutes and caused the 
um, community uproar that led to then the political decision-making around it. Labor weren't in government, but um, the coalition were, and they set the industry on a course of improvement. So this is like being sent out to, you know, you can only drive between these hours, right? So you're driving less, so your industry's not as profitable. Um, so you've adhered to all of those things. You've taken all the remedial action, and then a new government comes in and suddenly they're in the licensing authority, right? So Labor and the Greens and Pocock or whoever else you want to add to it, they're suddenly the people in charge of licensing your business, but they're judging you on what happened in 2018. So they've completely ignored the industry improvements and the, the journey that you've gone on over five years to make those changes to respond to that so-called social licence and community outrage, but it doesn't matter a thing. It's all just uh, null and void on election day. And this is the thing we've got to stop for agriculture um, to protect farmers because it creates uncertainty. We already live with enough, enough uncertainty with Mother Nature. Global markets, things like Ukraine, you know, having an impact not only on grain prices, of course, but inputs. Um, so we need to do uh, create a system that gives farmers far more um, consistency and understanding of where they actually stand. And if they go on a journey of improvement and make changes uh, to meet this so-called, you know, community desire, people who don't live with the, the uh, outcomes, don't have skin in the game of your business, um, then... You know, it's something we really need to apply our minds to. And for the grain sector, you've got uh, in the EU, you know, glyphosate bans being proposed. We've seen what's happened with fertiliser in um, other countries like uh, the Dutch farmers and then Canada, where they've just had a blunt political instrument that's taken away fertiliser use, uh, never mind Sri Lanka, with the uh, what's gone on there. And there are all these unintended consequences. Uh, consumers want to pay more for food. That's fine, but I get the feeling they're like what you get when you cross an Irishman with a Scotsman. Well, people uh, want all of these things, but they're not prepared to pay for it. People still want cheap food. So let's get it actually right so farmers have more consistency and we know where we stand. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And especially at the moment, consumers are wanting um, a lot cheaper food currently because the food prices have shot up a bit with inflation in the world of the economy currently at the moment. But that's one of the sort of pinch points for yourself there talking into mixed farming enterprises. But one thing caught my eye and probably catch a few farmers' eyes, autonomous machinery and how that's working within grain operators right across Australia. Well, the technology has been on the horizon for a while and obviously people are aware that it's coming and uh, we don't know how soon it's going to arrive. But um, GPA started a project about, excuse me, four or five years ago working with the Society of Precision Agriculture Australia and Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia. And uh, our uh, Dr. Rowan Rainbow, who's our technology expert, works on contract to GPA. So we designed a code of practice, really, and that's to help facilitate the commercial introduction of this machinery uh, to market. Um, and these codes of practice, they're not sexy, Jack, unlike um, the Farms Advice podcast. So... <laughs> but they're important to help um, deal with some of those community safety issues and also to get government to start thinking about how this is going to look, how's an autonomous um, vehicle actually going to operate on your farm? And we know there are other issues about digital connectivity and all of that sort of thing that also needs to be resolved. But so this code of practice really got all of the experts and stakeholders together to develop. And then we've... Um, 
submitted this to the WA government a couple of years ago and recently to the Queensland government for their formal consideration to adopt. And so we're going to keep pushing that. But, uh, you know, we put out a, um, a story in the rural press with Gregor Heard this week uh, just about a submission we made to an inquiry into robotics. So we use those sort of opportunities to remind people that this is um, this is out there, this is happening, and, you know, this technology is going to be arriving and it's going to help solve farm labour issues and uh, that sort of thing, improve productivity on farm. So we know there's been labour issues over recent years. So that's our thinking. Yeah, we love it. And also looking at the swarm farm of how that sort of operates, um, getting a bit more efficient out in the paddock, especially as you can do another job. But there's a lot more that goes behind the scenes, creating this code, the policies that drive what we actually do. It's not, you can't just go out there and operate straight away. There's policy backing it behind, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, it's mainly around safety, safety of the operator, your farm workers. I mean, think about it. If I can reverse roles here for a minute and ask you a question, like how would you use an autonomous um, farm machinery or vehicle on your farm at the moment? What Would that bring you a direct benefit? Um, probably like spraying would be the best benefit because if we can set it up to do something independently and we can go carry out another task and we can come back and continuously sort of monitor, that would be be the best benefit straight away um there's definitely a fair few out there like other implements um on the tractor as well would be the best bet plant yep. plowing yep that's right yeah so like on farm um we'll see how that sort of rolls out anyway the autonomous machinery and what sort of other ways that we can use it on farm but i noticed you've got a grain scholarship talk to me about this what's this for and who's it for? Yeah, well, we're pretty excited about this. So with um, our partnership with New Farm that we've been um, putting together our mental health initiative with Brad Hogg as our national ambassador, yep. Rural Aid and Lifeline. So uh, you're well aware of that and the work that Hoggy's been doing with getting that message out there. Um, and so we wanted to do something else as part of this partnership and we really... Uh, put some thinking behind it. And I think leadership something everyone's talking about um, and looking to do more on. So we've developed, really, it's unique to GPA, a paddock to Parliament of Grains Advocacy Scholarship. So we're really looking for two um, people out there, like yourself, Jack, who, um, you know, are involved in the industry. Um, you're a current leader, but, you know, also future leaders who really recognise there's a problem um, that needs to be solved and we want to come up with an advocacy roadmap, essentially. And as part of that, they won't be left on their own to go out there and say, oh, we'll go out and solve a problem like, you know, um, uh, input costs or whatever it is that they decide they want to talk about. It might be uh, biosecurity. It could be anything. And um, But they'll work with experienced advocates from the grains industry, people around the GPA setup, but also other mentors uh, that we'll introduce to the program so there's a $15,000 bursary, really. It's open for applications now. Yep. Uh, there'll be, uh, and the program will run until March next year. So there's opportunities for travel and engagement at local events and so a bit of uh, media training and, and professional networking. So I think it's an exciting opportunity to really find out how the, you know, the sausage is made, how you put advocacy and policy together and then take that all the way to Parliament. So think of a problem in your paddock that might even be, that, you know, might be connected to social licence and live exports bans or, you know, um, the future of glyphosate and then 
we'll work with you to mentor you. We've got um, probably an exclusive here, Jack, breaking this, but a couple of other people in the world of cricket, or one in particular, Justin Langer, will help out with some mentoring. And um, Gus McLaughlin, who's a retired Army general who got involved in Operation Grain Harvest Assist a couple of years ago when we had the retired um, Army veterans helping out with the uh, the, the harvest when, it's, when we had a shortage of labour a couple of years ago as well. So, And he's got fantastic experience around policy making and leadership and, uh, and again, can provide that mentoring from a different perspective, you know, at people outside of agriculture. So when I don't know when you think of leadership, what do you think of, or who do you think of, apart from me? Um, not narrowing it down to like an independent person, but I think just um, taking action on something that you're passionate about or something that you feel um, needs change um, within the industry, and just sort of driving that through, not implementing um, that as well, rather than just thinking of the ideas all the time. I think that's what leadership is for me. Yeah, the world's run by those who turn up. And I think GPA and our state members, you know, New South Wales Farmers, Grains Committee, um, Ag Force in Queensland and, um, you know, WA Farmers, all that, they're people who are volunteers, essentially. They run a business and they represent their peers. They pay to be members of farming groups, either directly to GPA or through their state memberships. And then they get involved in representing their peers. And, um, you know, it's a tough landscape. You're always going to get criticised. But I think they're, um, the experiences that they've gained to be able to pass them on to new leaders um, through a program like this is invaluable. You can't put a price on this sort of thing, really, in that regard. And, as again, learn how the sausage is made, how it works for the grain sector specifically, yep. and some of our other roles that we do. You know, we have that role to GRDC, and Plant Health Australia on biosecurity. So, you know, to learn, get the sort of inside view on that. And diversity is a big focus as well. We want, you know, we want, we don't want to keep drinking from the same well. We want to see new leaders and, and people, you know, from um, different areas of, of society and, and from our industry put their hand up. And I know there's only two scholarships, but certainly that's going to be a, a clear focus of what we're looking for. Absolutely, and but creating depth in that scholarship as well, allowing there to be a limit for two, you can actually dive down a little bit deeper for them. I'd be happy to get the scholars on once we've sort of established who they are and they've gone through the program. There'd be good insight to see what they are passionate about or what they want to change. Well, I think that would be part of their media training, Jack. Definitely a good opportunity to talk more about it. In fact, it might even be the way that we launch their final you know, plan and, and what they do. But again, you're only limited by your imagination, I think, you yeah. know, in, in this sort of stuff and how passionate you are. But you say, and I think it was the first time I heard that statement that the world's uh, run by those who turn up was at uh, Tony Windsor's retirement press conference. And, you know, um, it's true of all of our communities. I worked in cricket for a long time yeah. as well. And, and, you know, it's like around clubs and country communities are great for these people turn up and, and uh, they all, you know, get a job done on their local community committees, and it's all part of a collective good. So many hands makes light makes light work, and we want people to turn up for the right reasons, and we want some good ideas more than anything. Absolutely, and a good segue into things turning up on our doorstep is mice. Where are we with this mice problem? Um, and have you sort of out there wherever the region are people getting mice back? Uh, yeah, there's 
it's probably the same as the season. It's patchy. There are a few reports here with, you know, people reaching out in South Australia this week. We've heard that there's been a bit of activity in WA. So, and um, Steve Henry's done some media this week as well, I think with the um, ABC and the Mallee. So I don't think it's at plague proportions like it was a couple of years ago um, when GPA first introduced our double dose zinc phosphide, you know, permit to get that product out there to help farmers um, protect their crops when the plague was at its worst. Um, but certainly there's still a need for it and we're still providing that um, double dose zinc phosphide, the ZP50 option through our industry permit to the APVMA. So, um, and, you know, that's moving along steadily and and doing the job there and, and farmers are aware that that product's out there if they need it to give them any stronger protection if they see fit according to their business. I've seen a few scurrying around whilst being on the tractor. I actually, I need to get out in the paddock and put a placement card down and see what the impact is. There's a few holes about, but I'm not sure if they were old ones currently. Yeah, well, I think that's what Steve Henry advises. In fact, he might be a good one for you to get on the podcast and talk to him in more detail. But yeah, you know, get out there and actually see with your own eyes what the level of activity is. Yeah, I actually, I just followed Steve on Twitter. He's been doing it for 22 years or something. His research going into it. Yep. No, he's pretty much regarded as the the um, preeminent, you know, expert yep. on this subject. And he's certainly been someone who we've said, you know, you've got to follow the science and follow the experts. And it's not my job to second guess the CSIRO. Yep. So, and our role in delivering an industry permit, really, it's the APVMA who approves that based on science. We're, you know, we're really just facilitating that process to get that product out there. But he, he's certainly someone I think growers turn to for advice yeah. and have done in the last couple of years. And there's the National Mouse Management Group that GPA is involved in as well. And a lot of other grower groups and, and experts are part of that process. So, you know, and that's another classic, Jack, you know, in terms of problem solving, most growers wouldn't know about this organisation or the committee, the National Mouse Management Group, but Andrew Wiedemann's been on there for a long time. But, you know, they've recognised a problem and then they how do we solve this and how do you bring people in and get the investment like GRDC have invested in this research that Steve Henry's done? That's grower money, you know, and so they're uh, they're all contributing to that system but you might not get you know the they might not put out a press release every five minutes or after every meeting but over a long period of time that these are the sort of results that are delivered through the work that we do behind the scenes engaging with those experts and other growers absolutely and a great thing to be doing as well but seeding's currently taking place and if you do have mice problems let us know um, on the socials or something it'd be good to know what where's getting impacted with that one Talking about something recently in the budget, biosecurity, grain levies, grain prices, where's this at and what was included for grain producers in the budget? Well, it was a mixed budget um, that the minister announced. We know that he's been trying to solve the problem of increasing biosecurity funding. At the same time, the Department of Agriculture has had some financial headaches. So um, he didn't quite... Um, from our point of view, strike the right balance, but certainly heading in the right direction. We got concerns about this new 10% levy um, in terms of whether there's going to be any oversight. And in particular, from our point of view, whether people who grow grain, we're going to be the most contributing the most in levies, whether the levies we already pay are significantly contributing to biosecurity already. But when you talk about biosecurity, you know, Jack, you've got biosecurity in your paddock. 
there's a number of things you can claim that need to be done. But I think the minister talks a lot about preventative biosecurity as well, stopping these pests and diseases getting in. And he's done a pretty good job since coming in around FMD and lumpy skin. But, you know, we've been actually dealing with Varroa. So growers also contribute to eradication. And Varroa is a classic where grains, we have 26 levyable crops um, and we're the biggest member of Plant Health Australia where those emergency plant pest response um, mechanisms are, are put together and administered that, um, you know, we're not an immediate impact of this uh, Varroa but we're contributing to the uh, financial cost of eradication as well because it could have a secondary impact on hybrid canola seed production. So they're the sort of things we'd like to make sure as part of this process of designing this new levy that is clearly understood. So when they're calculating the funding, um, when they're considering the actual biosecurity job, that they're targeted investments, they're going to make sure that we stop things like capra beetle coming in. So that that's really where our main focus has been in terms of, the budget, but I don't know how you feel about paying another 10% in levies on top of what you already pay in your business. Well, yeah, being mixed farmers, there's a seems to be a lot more levies coming in. And I think that as farmers are wising up and actually asking where the levies are going and what they're going to be doing, um, and whether or not farmers should be copying the brunt of it all. Um, we'll have to see how it rolls out and what they do, and the likes of what you're doing, Colin, there. Um, advocating for the grain producers, farmers, all farmers, really. Well, that's right. And let's not forget that, you know, um, in the grains industry, people who grow grain and primary producers, they're wealth-creating industries as well. So the, the more you tax wealth-creating industries like ours, uh, the more it limits the multiplier impact of the commercial benefits you're delivering for communities around you. You know, when you're growing more grain, there's more grain going into the storage and handling system. There's more grain being sold and exported overseas. There, your agronomists and, and other people, you know, the rural resellers, you know, chemical and all those other products, fertiliser. So that goes up. That means you're producing more. There's more tax revenue for the nation. Yep. There's more economic activity around where you live, Jack, and, and in those rural communities. So we've got to be very careful that, this is also sets a precedent. Yes, we understand the biosecurity challenge and sustainable funding model that the minister's trying to deliver. We've also got to be very careful. You know, we've been asking for a container levy on the people who are creating the risk, the importers. That's what we've been asking for. We didn't ask for another levy. So we would like to see him fix that um, missing piece of this sustainable biosecurity funding model first. We know that he's put charges up in the budget on um, from well, bigger contribution from taxpayers and, and importers through other mechanisms, and we welcome that. But, you know, this container levy was the first order of business, not the last order, um, but also the current levy system works in partnership with growers. So they matured those systems over um, decades where groups like ours and, and other systems, you know, they identify targeted research and Plant Health Australia, their business model is essentially working in partnership as well. So making sure we're getting the most out of those systems and the best value for the existing levies um, to do the job that we need it to do to, to prevent these pests from coming in. Well, there's a fair bit going on and we'll have to see how it rolls out and hopefully we can get some consistency there as well. But I think the levy on the importers would be a good one just to, um, to prevent that coming in. And also they've also got the obligation not obligation accountability for that as well i suppose when 
last year that was detected in a it was a fridge or something? Well, yeah, it's been a number of different um, detections as well. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, growers are already paying to eradication. And minister's aware of this. But, you know, we're the ones that will be paying to, you know, and sharing those costs with governments and therefore taxpayers to pay for the eradication. So we live with the consequences, right? Everyone's saying that we're a beneficiary. We also live with the consequences. And the people who bring it in won't live with the consequences. So maybe underneath all of this, are we talking about, um, and the difference is this 10% levy is going to raise money for the department. We don't know how that's going to be spent. Um, and so, you know, whereas the current levy system, as I said, the funding goes to those organisations like GRDC and Plan Health Australia that we already work in partnership with, we'd rather see that we're getting more out of our existing current levies to do the job that we, excuse me, Jack, that we need to do um, and then move forward from there. So, but I don't know, is there a container levy? Does that mean they're going to contribute more to eradication and response efforts when we, if we do get one of these, pests that you know shuts down our um, ability to export grain for example and you're not going to collect any levies if we're not if we get capra and you know we can't export and sell the grain but with better systems we may limit it spread for example so you know but it's very obvious that's much it's the number one priority for the minister and he's responded accordingly and we've got some work to do because of it great stuff and always plenty more work to do and moving into one of our trade partners or may not be a partner at the moment, but China's trade, how's that impacting grain for grain producers? Well, there's been some really positive signals with the, the change of government um, in terms of rebuilding the relationship with China, which is fantastic. I mean, everyone knows the ban came on barley exports and uh, we've managed to find a new home for barley, I think. And um, previously the market was paying a premium. That's a freight advantage as much as anything, I think, to get the, the malting barley another barley up into China. So um, the government announced a process in uh, on the 11th of April um, with China, whereby I think it's raising expectations and hopes that in three months that uh, the, the market could reopen. And we saw the announcement yesterday about the uh, timber exports opening again to China. Yep. And again, you know, if you read the political code, these are all pretty positive developments. And I think it would be good to reopen the market, not just for Australian um, barley exporters and producers, but also um, for consumers in China as well. So they've been impacted as much as our producers by this decision, because as you know, Jack, we grow the best barley in the world, which means it's the best tasting beer made with Australian barley. So, you know, all those people sitting around in bars around the world where they come, you know, getting beer that originates in China or wherever um, have all been suffering from this decision. Absolutely. And the, the most uh, drunk beer in the world is that Sing Chow, the Chinese beer. I've had a few of those before. They're not too, they're not too bad. They might be using Australian barley. Well, that's right. And it's some of the most sustainable, um, you know, grains as well. We have some of the best farming systems in the world producing some of the most sustainable grain, yep. which CSRO and GRDC is, has um, uncovered with their research recently, which was released last year. So, you know, drinking sustainable beer, Jack, gives you a guilt-free hangover, doesn't it? Absolutely. And we're all about the less hangovers um, <laughs> that we can get as farmers. But moving on into the last sort of thing for farmers going into seeding season, sowing, planting, whatever you may call it, farm labour. Where are we at with farm labour and how is that impacting us? 
Well, it's gone quiet um, since the election. Let's face it. I think there was a fair bit of tension there or the previous minister um, had raised hopes of a, an ag visa. So I think, again, it's someone, another one of those um, jobs that Murray Watts moved pretty quickly on, I think. Um, but the NFF, National Farmers Federation, has really taken the lead there yep. from our point of view. And they, um, a lot of them, the more acute issues, I think, have been in the horticulture sector. Everyone's ex still experiencing labour problems, though. There's no doubt about that. And there's certainly a shortage of capacity um, that we, you know, it's a constant battle. Um, so I don't think there's any silver bullet solution to it, but the ag visa was taken off the table and, and the ministers set up a tripartite working group. Now our members, our state uh, that sit around the GPA policy council are also the state um, grains councils from New South Wales farmers, which I've talked about before. So Justin Everett, the president there, and um, Craig Henderson for Victorian Farmers Federation, so, um, you know, we, we're still talking about farm labour. It's still a priority. Um, but ours is more about getting um, workers on farm during those surge capacity periods around harvest and seeding as well. And uh, we'll continue to um, fight the good fight. Absolutely. Have you heard about the crop forecast for this year? I haven't heard anything yet. Um, there is an email I need to check. I think Giwa in WA were putting out a, an early crop forecast. I haven't seen anything from the government as yet, um, but yeah, it's starting to get to that sort of time where they um, start working out how much um, um, planting has gone on. You know how much, um, how many hectares have been planted, and then try and work out a rough calculation. Have you? Have you uh, heard I haven't. I'll have to do a bit of a research on that um, to see what it is. It's always interesting to see what they're forecasting and see if what happens at the end of the day for lions anyway. Yeah, I think the Giwa uh, crop update or forecast is embargoed till midday WA time, so maybe an hour or so, Jack. You might need to do a little, you know, voice insert at the end of this with the current crop numbers. But I think overall the expect, you know, we've had two record crops in a row. Yep. I think people aren't um, expecting there to be as much moisture and rain around uh, to support that level of crop. So maybe we'll come back to more realistic level and... People might be a little bit more um, conservative, to, conservative in terms of uh, because of that, in terms of and the cost of inputs in terms of how much they're putting out out there. So, see, beautiful. And one thing before we round it up, the beef going into the UK trade deal starts on June first, I believe. Is there mm. anything for grain exporting to the UK? Uh, I'd have to check the figures, but I don't think it's a, a huge amount. No, no. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Colin, I think that was a pretty good episode to run through and see what the sort of pinch points are for us grain producers right across Australia to see what's impacting us, how we can benefit from the policy that drives ultimately what we do. Um, initially starting the podcast, I didn't want to go into politics or policy, but um, after learning a few years and policy really drives what we do as farmers and the change of governments um, can come down like a cutting knife into butter sometimes as well so it's great to have you on board and driving the way and sort of steering them into the right direction for us yeah well i think i was lucky as a journalist to go to the us a few times and see how their farm representative systems are set up as well and how they link into washington yeah. and state departments but a lot of the farmers over there really view their investment or their payment of their 
state memberships to their farming groups um, as a, you know a commercial investment as well. So because they're out there, you know, putting more dollars in their pockets, and that's what Barry likes to say. That's what we're about. So and you've got you know offensive and defensive plays, Jack. So you know you're not always out there criticizing government. Really, in fact, these days that doesn't happen as often, really. And so you know when you've got good strong advocacy, it's all you're protecting the profitability and sustainability of your business as well. And our jobs making sure we get more out of the levy system. So that we're putting your levy to work harder as well. So, and that's not the 10% one that the government's um, uh, trying to bring in as well. We're not putting that one to work harder. <laughs> no, no, very good. Is there one last piece of farms advice you'd like to pass on to capture this sort of episode in a snippet? Oh, well, I'd probably just to reinforce our messages about mental health and what yeah. Hoggins talking about this year is about the importance of farmers taking a break especially after a few big years. So everyone book a holiday, you know, and make sure you take some time off because everyone's working really hard, Jack. And uh, I think it's important to take that time off and um, step back from work, forget about work for a while, and then you come back fresh and you solve problems, you know, take your mind off it and you come back and you got more energy. So I'll be having a break in a few weeks and getting over to the US and the UK. And um, I won't be checking my laptop that often. So that's the main message. But thanks for having us on, Jack. You do a great job and we're proud to have you as our podcast partner. Beautiful. And I can't wait to see what sort of episodes we drum up later throughout the season. Whilst everyone's out there watching their crops grow um, and the barley crops with a beer, watching them grow as well. So Colin, thanks for joining us um, for this episode, but plenty more to come in the GPA series with Barnswise Podcast. Cheers. This Farms Advice episode does not stop here. Come and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And even join our Facebook group. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more on this episode and spread the hashtag Farms Advice to your mates. If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that will let other farmers find us too. But until then, see you next Tuesday.